We have no sound effects, Steph. This is a low production pod. It's very authentic. <laughs> I've got laughter, applause, <laughs> crickets. Crickets. Let's do that. Okay, let me give you some crickets. It doesn't sound anything like crickets. It sounds like a rusty, a rusty wheel or something on a bike. Yeah, I, that's like uh, a mule pulling an old cart uh, in <laughs> you know, Eastern European country. Everybody and welcome to the Human Element Karis Podcast on Modern Marketing. I am super excited to be joined by a cast. Uh, Steph Michalak, who is the creator and producer of the Michalak's YouTube channel. Steph, welcome. Hey. Denya Suli Vunisiu. Correct. Close enough, who is client account director at Kara UK. That's an agency I've heard of. <laughs> Denya, thanks so much for making your first appearance. Absolutely. My pleasure to be here. Very excited for today. As you might imagine, there's a whole, you know, B-roll of me messing up names. So congratulations to have joined that. <laughs> Amy Bryant Jeffries, Partnership Director at Gleam Futures. Welcome. So once and for all, to try to get me to, you know, get back to a level of respect with my daughter, I want to start here. And this is a question for all of you. I kind of want to move through all of you for, with an answer here. What do we mean when we talk about a modern influencer or digital first talent? Like, What's the definition of that? And then the follow-up question is, and why does that matter so much? Steph, let's start with you. I suppose it depends on from what prism you're looking at us from. I suppose it's as a commercial element, I suppose we are a force of nature purely because of the fact we've broken down that fourth wall and we have a direct connection with the end consumer. So that's if I'm coming from a commodified kind of very stark approach. But we don't like to look at ourselves that way. We tend to look at ourselves as creators, as people who put a lot of effort and integrity into our work. And from that, we happen to have reach. And from that reach, we happen to be able to commodify that reach with brand work. So I try not to think about and dwell on that side of things too much. <laughs> However, it's an important side because it keeps the lights on. So we need to be aware of it and skirt a very delicate line between being somebody that is a viable option for a brand to work with along the same time as being authentic enough that people don't see you as just some sterilized, watered down version of yourself that you project in mm. order to get that brand work. So there's a very, very delicate line that you have to walk along. Sometimes you might be yeah. over a little bit too far and have to snap back. But that's the line that we have to learn how to walk on, basically. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, that that notion of the tension between sort of brand, for lack of a better word, compatibility and authenticity. And that's a, a tough, mm. tough line to ride. Amy, what's your perspective on, you know, a definition for influencer or digital first talent? And why has it become so important to brands? So the way that we define digital first talent is as content creators, high quality content creators, or entertainers or entrepreneurs who have emerged from digital platforms, who have an established loyal audience and create highly engaging content online across multiple categories. So that might be health and fitness, it might be lifestyle, might be cleaning, might be fashion and beauty, or it might be another niche. Did you just say cleaning? Cleaning, yes. 
There's a cleaning vertical? There is. Cleaning vertical is massive at the moment, which is led by... Is it really huge? Really big. Because people are stuck in their house and they're like, oh my God, I can't live here any longer. Well, it actually started last year. So Mrs. Hinch, who is one of the talent that we represent on the Glean Features (laughs) roster has millions of followers online and she... Is this entire podcast designed to make me feel 50 years old? Yeah. That's that's Is that really the subtext yeah. of how this is going to go? Exactly anyway, Mrs. Hinch, yeah. Oh, Mrs. Hinch. Yes, I remember. Go ahead. Yeah, so millions of followers. She essentially creates cleaning content across her Instagram stories predominantly. So it doesn't do a lot on her Instagram grid, but it's very entertaining cleaning content. There's a lot of kind of mental health messaging behind it and supporting each other. And there has emerged from that a community of people who love cleaning essentially and so it's a way to connect with each other and there's lots of verticals like that coming up as well but actually something that I think is quite important to say here is the difference between influencer versus digital first talent and the reason that we use digital first talent is because we have such a problem with the term influencer in that Anybody can call themselves an influencer. I could call myself an influencer just by having a thousand followers. How does that differentiate me between Steph Mitchak, who is a top quality content creator? So influencer lumps everybody labeled as that into this kind of homogenous mass of people, conjures up a lot of negative stereotypes off the back of a lot of negative press about influencers. So when we talk about talent, we use that term because... It's about creators who have an expertise to share or they produce really high quality content, they have purpose in what they do, they have a really deep connection and dialogue with their community who really trust them. And so that's quite a clear distinction. I think the reason that it's now so important is that, in fact, the kind of topic of this podcast and that it's about humanity and modern marketing, that's exactly what this is. It's about human connection and integrating kind of brands authentically and creatively into content which plays on that human connection so it's about honesty it's about being real it's about ultimately being human it gives brands the opportunity to have a human dialogue with an audience who live online so amy a couple things one there's obviously a royalty check we'll be putting in the mail for you weaving the uh the name of the podcast into your answer thank you That was very well done. Danielle, I'm, I'm going to go to you with a slightly different question. Mm-hmm. You and Carrie UK and Glean Futures recently did a little piece around this area. Can you talk a little bit about what's in that and sort of what observations the two organizations are making about sort of the state of play in this part of the business? I think the art of influence and the human element, as we've been calling it, it has been emerging and evolving and changing over the past few years. Obviously, we've seen a massive shift and increase in, obviously, influencer marketing and more and more digital content creators being part of the kind of the channel mix and the approach that clients want to focus on. However, I would say that over the past year, even more, we've seen such a big increase. And I think the the key word that I really like that Amy obviously used as well was that authenticity and kind of relatability. So I think that's that's why clients are more and more keen to work with the different content creators because there's so many different verticals and the strands that we can focus on depending on, you know, whether you're focusing on jewellery or whether you're focusing on cleaning or travelling. So I think what we tried to do within this piece of kind of research and, and point of view, if you would like to call it, 
was kind of gather all these observations, changes and challenges over the years, and mainly the past couple of years that we've seen so many things kind of exploding and changing across so many different verticals. So you see like big clients, whether that's, you know, Kellogg's or, you know, Pandora, et cetera, having such a big focus on influencer marketing and want to do something more bespoke and unique with their approach. So it's not just about shouting about their messaging and just wanted to kind of just speak to everyone out there about the messaging. It's more kind of how can you create something more unique and be more relatable and kind of include that as part of your messaging and as part of your approach and make sure that you come closer to your audience and be part of that wider community and essentially bring in your audience to be part of that wider community within and through the, those kind of content creators that we've been using. So, Amy, what are the implications for brands and what advice do we have for them coming out of the piece? I actually think one of the most important pieces is something we put in quite near the end of the creation as we were coming into the global pandemic and COVID-19. I almost wish the report came out a bit later and we were able to put more insight into it because one of the key things we look at is what's changed within influence marketing. And I think the biggest change is actually right now. And we do talk about it in the report, but there is so much more to say right now. So the fact that we are living in this unprecedented time, we've got a global pandemic, we've got a recession, we've got job losses, consumer confidence is low, we've got a massive cultural movement in the form of Black Lives Matter as well. So all of those very big issues have caused values within brands, but also consumers' minds to be altered. And we talk a bit about how the place of kind of influencer marketing within uncertain times. And I think actually it has such a strong place. And particularly now, so the shift we're seeing is that the kind of influencer stereotype and those picture-perfect ideals that we're so used to seeing that's all been called out a lot so those super (laughs) polished feeds that sometimes tone deaf content sentiments that have kind of no real meaning behind them have felt really insensitive and jarring within the current climate so actually what's happened as a result is we've got a really diverse range of talent being kind of platformed and brought to the surface And we talk a lot about right now values-led talent. So talent that have strong social, cultural, political values. They've got unwavering voices. They drive change in their industries and communities. They are raw. They're unapologetic. And that is having a huge impact on not only kind of the content that's being consumed and created, but also the way that brands are now approaching influencer marketing so it's a really interesting time and actually that human connection is even more vital than it's ever been that sense of community that sense of dialogue having a two-way conversation being able to share values to take a stand share your voice they are all things that consumers want now and using authentic voices who have existing relationships to communicate your messaging is actually a far better approach than a direct sales approach in this current climate. 
Sure. That's really interesting. I mean, there's in that there's this idea that that we are to some extent starved for that kind of connection and for the authenticity and, and the reality of it, right? Like there's just a, a, a real hunger for that. You know, Steph, I think this sort of connects back to your opening point. And so my question for you is, what has changed in the way that you've done your work as a creator since the pandemic? And how much of that kind of reality of what you do has matched what Amy just outlined? Mm. As Amy says, we kind of feel like we're on the forefront of this cultural shift. And a lot of us have been forced to react, whereas normally we wouldn't want to. Normally, it's, it's a dangerous thing. As a creator, if you approach it with all the platitudes and the things you're supposed to say and do, then you get your free pass. But if you choose not to do that, then it's a dangerous thing. So that's been tricky. So I think the thing is that we're trying to focus on now, personally speaking, I see other creators doing this, is is within long-form content. And that seems to be complementary of the cultural shift. It's in nuance, which is what people are looking for now. It's in context, which has been ignored for such a, a long period of time. And I think that's what our viewers want to see now. They want to see a more flushed out opinion on something rather than just the standard sort of platitudes and approaches that a lot of people would expect. I think they want to know that you aren't just going to to do that, that you're going to treat this Mm. with a lot more dignity rather than kind of just go in and say, oh, yes, of course, and say all the things you're supposed to say. And I think that's what Amy was saying in terms of these politicized influencers now are getting so much more popular. It seems to be the new trend. There's There's always fashions and trends within this landscape. Everything from those kind of uh, contrived pranks was a big trend for a while. Blogs were a big trend for a while. Commentary videos became a big trend for a while. And now it seems to be normal political stuff is becoming a big trend. These are the guys that are rising through and coming through now, which is good because it does politicize a lot of the younger people and, and intro them into politics. It's a difficult platform to express an idea because obviously every idea that you have has to be contextualized. I always see it like if I have an opinion, I have to... uh, With The whole Brexit thing was very, very difficult for us to navigate. Extremely difficult for us to navigate because as a fence sitter, sometimes it's difficult because it all comes down to a binary decision. Is it a conscious choice on your behalf to be a fence sitter on this issue? Like, have you made either a an internal kind of belief system decision or a maybe a more commercial decision to do that? It's a good question, but I am a fence sitter. I very much am a determinist fence sitter, so I don't actually have a... I'm not persuaded politically either way. I try and zoom out as far as I can and look at it from, <laughs> from outer space, essentially. I won't let myself subscribe to ideologies or political persuasions. And if I, if I do find myself being pulled in a direction, then I'll question why I'm being pulled in that direction and seek alternative mediums just because I want to have more of an objective opinion on things. I am always offensive. However, sometimes things do come down to yeah. a binary yes or no decision. And that's when we struggle because it, when you're very much offensive and you don't want to make that decision, then you're being persuaded by either side. And sometimes it's, you, know, you might topple over one side or the other, but it's by a small percentage. That's important now more than ever to be a fence sitter when it comes to all of this stuff that's happening and going on with um, politics and world affairs. People want to know that you are not trying to 
force some kind of political ideology down or even subtly down, mm-hmm. you know, into their ears. They want to know, actually, this person's very objective about things. He doesn't think this or that. He's kind of sees it from a, you know, yeah. deterministic level. So that's so interesting, Steph. Thanks for that. I guess my question, Daniel, when, when you talk to clients, how do you, <laughs> because so much of what's happened in client orientation over the past, let's call it, three and a half years, especially in the US, but certainly in the UK as well, mm-hmm. is that brands have made a different decision. And that is that the time to sit on the fence can't be now. And that increasingly, in spite of all that they have you know, believed for 50 years around, you know, the best commercial outcome is to try to stay out of some of these territories, they're really making the opposite decision. And so what have you seen from your clients on this front? Are they driving more mission and purpose? And by very definition, going off the fence? And is that changing how they're making decisions in this, you know, digital first creator influencer landscape? There's definitely been a bigger focus over the years. And especially the past couple of years, I would say on the the wider purpose and mission of a brand. And I think this has started a couple of years ago with everything, you know, happening within, you know, the wider landscape and obviously all the political discussions, but also the environmental issues So big clients need to stand for a bigger purpose and a bigger mission, whether that's, you know, driving environmental change or driving and focusing on sustainability, which is such a big, big trend over the past couple of years. So, yes, absolutely. I think they do realize the necessity to focus on the wider brand purpose, uh, how they can relate themselves with, you know, content creators or charities or all of the above and just be generally drivers and forces of good, which is something that we massively support from like a carrot and to wider perspective, and we want to do more of. And we're trying to kind of guide and support clients as much as possible to see how we can be, you know, this force of good and for good, and what is the right messaging that we want to, to kind of to focus and drive further. And especially after this year, which we know has been very difficult for everyone is more how to be real. And I think based on what Amy and, and Steph were saying earlier, is more like how you're being your real self. So you can see the the communities and the audiences changing and just keep on following and trusting content creators and talent. They're actually sharing their point of views. Again, not trying to apply it to everyone and convince anyone, but also being real. So like that kind of idealistic life or, you know, traveling the world, wearing the best clothes, having like a dreamy life does not apply anymore. It doesn't mm. anymore. No one believes that anymore. Yeah, I know when I post all that kind of stuff, people <laughs> are just like, that's not real. <laughs> it's honestly, it's that kind of genuine, real sharing of, you know, your day-to-day struggles or your real thoughts and like your day-to-day, like making it a bit more relatable. And that's why sure. the, the audiences are more engaged as well. And, and brands do understand that. And that's why I think diversity and diversified content creator kind of mix is, is want to do and want to focus on and work with more for most of our clients. Yeah. Amy, my question for you is also related to clients. It comes from a different angle. And this is the angle of Truth. (laughs) And that is, you know, obviously so much of what is on these platforms has 
you know, at the very least, truth problems and at the very worst, you know, deliberate disinformation angles to it, no matter what the topic, not just political topics, right? So whether it's about mental health topics, whether it's about climate change, we are awash in stuff that just isn't factually correct. Mm -hmm. How are you working with clients on that? What are the kinds of questions that they're coming to you with about trying to find places that are maybe not safer, but somehow more connected to, to truth? From a talent perspective or a brand perspective? Well, kind of both. Mm. I think it's hard because you can ultimately create any persona and put that out online. So whether you're a brand or a talent, and you need to be able to identify, I guess, the real talent and the real brands versus the ones who kind of create these facades. The... (laughs) best way to do that I think is from a brand perspective if you're finding talent and communities to engage with then finding the talent who have values that really mirror your own and ensuring that those values are intrinsic to everything they do and that it isn't just a one-off sentiment that also is the same on the brand side of things. We've seen brands want to support things like the Black Lives Matter movement and have gone about it in completely the wrong way because they have said, we are going to do X for this amount of time or commit to X, but actually in practice, it's not happening. And so brands are being called out for that. And I think ultimately, you can always rely on the online audience to call you out for something that isn't factually correct, or that isn't intrinsic to everything that you do. I also think that part of this comes down to, from a brand perspective, if you're choosing talent to partner with, is really knowing your talent before you partner with them. So yes, you can use data to go this talent has the same values, common interests as our brand. They have exactly the right target demographic for us. Um, They are located in X area. You can do all of that, but then you have to apply that level of human insight to determine, is this talent brand safe? Do they communicate what's real to their everyday life? Are they authentic? Do they have a strong, engaged audience? Are their followers real? All of those things, you have to be able to apply that human insight. And I think sometimes too often, there's a heavy reliance on data and data doesn't have all the answers. (laughs) That last phrase should be printed up on shirts. I've got it on my wall. (laughs) Oh, perfect. There you go. So Steph, this takes me back to you because I do want to sort of get a sense of a day in the life because, you know, I'm willing to bet that you're your daily life has similarities to mine, only you're filming it. (laughs) So what is a day in the life of being a creator? And are you constantly sort of moving from moment to moment and in the back of your head, almost acting like a producer and editor and saying, oh, that I got to put in, or that's something I should, you know, delve into, or that's an idea for something else. You know, what does that look like? It's, get, it's all about getting to the right headspace for it. That's the most important thing. Because, because the more, like Amy was saying, with the thirst for authenticity and realness, you're forced to point the camera inwards rather than outwards. 
And if you're not in the right headspace for it and you're, you're storytelling out of a dark place, the content turns dark. It can be quite melodramatic at times. It can be quite depressing because it kind of is leveraging off you and what you're feeling at the particular time. So the first thing and the most important thing to do is get in the right headspace for creation because that dictates what the output is. So that consists of waking up at 5.40 in the morning and standing <laughs> on a treadmill for an hour and just walking uphill. And that's the first, that's the first thing I do, just to kind of get the endorphins going and, and get into a positive headspace. Get home, sort out the kids, get them to school, have a big strong coffee, and then, uh, and then the day starts. And then it's just a blank a flicking cursor on a Google document screen while I kind of think up any ideas or I just kind of any kind of thoughts or things that I've been thinking about just kind of spill onto the page and then I develop them and probably about 80% of them don't actually make the cut but a few of them do and it could be anything sometimes I can just go off on a tangent I think I remember one particular video we made a couple of years ago was I went downstairs to get some breakfast and I saw a brand flakes box and I thought I'm going to make a story about this Bram Flakes box talking to me and, and offering me the, the, the meaning of life. Like it just, it offers me the meaning of life. So I put this Bram Flakes box on my head. I go and meet an oracle and it just, right. it's really far-fetched, but I, was just, I just felt particularly creative that day. And I just thought, well, I'm going to tell a story about them. Did the brand reach to you after you did this? Actually, this wasn't a brand deal week. I don't think it was anyway. Okay. No, I don't think it was. So. <laughs> but that's just, sometimes you're feeling particularly creative or you just feel like being a bit uh, abstract that week. Or sometimes you just, you feel like you have this desire to tell a story. And some days, some, some weeks you don't. Some weeks you just feel flat and you just have nothing to offer the world. <laughs> you just want to curl up into a mm. ball. But, it's, uh, but that's why it's important to try your best to get in the right headspace for it. So I feel the first thing you have to do is get in check is your mental sure. health. I mean, I've done lots of jobs before this and I hate whinging about it because I often get told off by, by people who say, you know, well, I, I work, I'm a trauma consultant for the NHS, so how dare you whinge about your right. job? People forget it's relative. But I've done lots of difficult jobs. And this by far is the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life, mentally. Mm. <laughs> it is so difficult. And, and is that because, uh, because it's, it's so open? You are very exposed. Yeah. That's true. You're very exposed. You have, it's, it's like somebody thrusting a, a canvas in your face each week and saying, paint something that lots of people are going to like. Yeah. And try not to get too upset when lots of people hate it too. Yeah. And then you finish it. You think, oh, I'm really happy with this one. And then I have a window of about half an hour. This is how it's been happening over the last few years. I have a window of half an hour of being elated when the video goes up. And then the expectations roll in. And they're like the dark clouds over the horizon coming in. And I can see them coming in. And then before I know it, that's it. It's, I have the expectations are on top of me and, and the worry about what I'm going to produce. And yeah, it, it, comes at, it comes at a cost. So I think you have to be in the right headspace for it. So I just feel, for me, the hack is fitness, health and fitness. That seems to be the way I can keep on top of it. And the occasional break as well, the occasional week off, that's the way to do it. But there's a, there's a reason why there's, a, there's this thing called burnout in this industry and people do burnout quite quickly because especially the people who are new to it, they'll instantly get big. The expectations roll in and it takes a toll on their mental health and they don't really know how to handle it. Luckily, we've been a slowly, steadily growing over the years. So it's not been something, it's been something we can kind of, we've adapted to. That's why we're enthusiastic now about moving into the podcast world where we sit down and talk more because we feel like that's uh, just going to be an, a new interesting medium to try and to experiment with and try out different ideas. Yeah. In my particular case, not yours, but in my particular case, as I've said many times before, I have a face for radio. So this, this, works, uh, this works best for me. No one needs to see me <laughs> on camera. Denya, what's the one thing you wish clients were talking about or doing 
right now? Like, is there one thing that if you could sort of sit the aggregated client community of the world down, what would you tell them? I would say it's sort of linked to what we said earlier about the brand purpose and the mission. So I would just say how you can be a bigger force for good and a bigger driver of this, how we can work with your partners and talk about this more. It's like, what is your commitment to like this whole environmental challenges and, you know, driving diversity? How do we do this within your own territory and how you can help the wider kind of media landscape, not to essentially change the world, but what's your little kind of input and driver that you can kind of apply from your side. Right. Do you still feel like clients are coming to you with too tactical a brief? Like, you know, move awareness from X to Y, or, you know, we've always stood for the fact that, uh, you know, our product is 100% efficacy in blah, blah, blah. Like, is it still too transactional? Yes and no. It's it's different blend across different clients that and, and different verticals that we see. Certain briefs are more specific and more tactical, more short-term focused, but you do have the bigger ones that, you know, you, you want to do something bigger, something something more exciting. I think this year has been a challenge because we just had to quickly kind of replan what we think is best to do for this year based on the challenge priorities across different clients. Sure. But I think generally sure. we've, we have a good kind of blend of clients that come to us to do something bigger and something different and innovate more uh, or create something unique, partner with different you know, partners, whether that's content creators more specifically or just something bigger and do something more exciting from like an event perspective or from like a data-led perspective or, you know, work with more charities or do all of the above together. So absolutely there is a, I think particularly for this year, it's been more challenging to do something bigger, different, more exciting because we just had to quickly adapt to the new ways of living and working and the consumption. (laughs) And, you know, you know, it's been, it's been a hell of a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's for sure. Uh, or, or as the case may be, the combined thing of living and working, whatever. Exactly. We need a new exactly. name for what that is. Everything yeah. is merging together, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's the big merge. Amy, what are your most important areas of focus for the rest of the year? Like maybe the two or three things. Okay, so in terms of advising brand clients in particular, there are two things, but I feel like they interlink quite well. So I think particularly within influencer marketing, there is always a huge focus on driving sales and driving clicks and it being really results driven and really kind of ROI focused, which is fine. And historically that's been the case because digital first talent slash influencers do absolutely drive massive conversion if you partner with the right talent and create the right kind of content. However, given the shift, culturally, I really want to see brands focus more on resonance. So less on kind of reach and sales and clicks, but finding and partnering with talent who you share values with, who you share common ground with, and delivering that message to their audience. Because right now, I don't believe that consumers want to be sold to. They want to be able to build relationships with brands, have a dialogue with brands and the wider community around them. And I think the way to do that is through a content first, talent first lens. 
which leverages credibility, leverages that kind of personal relationship and personal interaction so that you can win over consumers now so that that brand is in front of mind for the future. And that is exactly the approach also, probably worth noting, to take with Gen Z as well, who might not have a disposable income currently, but if you build the relationship with them now, in the long term, that brand's going to be front of mind. That said, if sales and clicks is the ultimate KPI, then find the right talent to partner with, create the right type of content, make sure your values and your common ground are aligned, but plug in paid media to drive the clicks and sales from the talent's channel and the talent's perspective. Because that way you're not foregoing a potentially great partnership with a great talent who completely aligns with you just to get the conversion. You're thinking about the talent and the content first and how you can cleverly use that to target an audience who will buy now, if that makes sense. No, no, it absolutely does. Almost what I'm hearing from you is this, you know, don't be half committed, like be fully committed. Exactly. And I think if you, within influencer marketing, you are essentially getting your talent, your content production, your editor, your distribution all in one. So if you're paying for that, yeah. why not make it go further and reach it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, how, do you, exactly. how do you maximize it? Sure. Yeah, and I think that speaks to, you know, a lot of times, and I say this, you know, as a client in many different organizations, clients almost come to it with almost like, well, I'll give this a try and I want to limit risk in the trying. And so I'll do it in a more disconnected way. Um, and I think your point is, if you're going to try, do it in yeah. a connected way, that that's the right way to look at it. I think that's great advice. So Steph, back to you. Last question, then we're going to get into the lightning round. So boy, I tell you, anything <laughs> can happen there. Steph, last question for you before we get into that. In, in your experience, what's the best way for brands to work with creators? I mean, the best type of brand that you want to work with is a brand that understands you as a creator and understands your audience. So... Like Amy was saying, what's really important is that they they understand that what they're getting is they're getting the distribution, they're getting the editing, they're getting so much in a package that they need to really understand that. And a lot of the time what we do is we invest a lot of the money that we get from a brand deal into the production of the video. So essentially sometimes, you know, the brands might think this is expensive, but a lot of that is on production. Sure. So try and make it, you know, you obviously try and make your, your cut out of it at the end, but sometimes you don't. Sometimes you'll just, you've spent the whole budget on production and the more budget they give you, the, the higher of an end production they get at the end. I suppose what we like is working with the brand to come up with the idea and the concept and selling them the concept and the idea. So whatever that might may be. Sometimes we might get something from a brand which triggers the idea. Years ago, we we had... Our managers almost rejected it. They said, uh, we've had this yogurt brand come through. We're not really sure what you can do with it. So we, we don't know if it's going to be suitable. And I said, well, what's the brand cam? What's the brand messaging? And they said, it's uh, within their tagline was spontaneity somewhere. So I said, well, there you go. We've got spontaneity. So let's do something spontaneous. And what's more spontaneous than spinning a globe, putting your finger on wherever it lands, and then flying out there the next day? And we said, well, let's just do that. <laughs> so use that word spontaneity to tie everything in. And that's really what you want to do. You need, I mean, the story needs to all round up nicely in a big bow. Yep. So once, you, once you've done that, this is the brand message, spontaneity, we're going to do something spontaneous, here's a globe, 
spin it, blindfold ourselves, spin it, lands on Iceland, and off we go the next day to Iceland, and then make a video out of it. So, so you can make it work. Sure. The important thing is you're not clumsy with it, that it's not done really awkwardly and clumsily. I think uh, what I'm seeing a lot more now, especially with podcasts, is people stopping and reading out a load of key messaging, and they're not contextualizing it. They're not, they're not bringing it into their own tone of voice. They're just kind of trying to get it over and done with as soon as possible so they can move on to what they want to talk about. But I think there's, a, there's an approach which is more of a, an holistic approach where yep. you have a... Well, for a start, you've got to be grateful that the brand has chosen to work with you. So there's, there's that. There's the loyalty you have from that. But also, you've got to figure out a way that you can do it, which is tongue-in-cheek, which satisfies three essential verticals. You have your audience, you have your integrity, and you have the brand. If all of those three verticals are satisfied, then you've done a good job. Yep. It's important that one of those collapses. Yep. So I think the brand needs to understand when they work with you what you are, what you're about, what you're going to offer them. And, and like Amy was saying, is not be too fussed about the metrics in terms of the conversions because I think, you know, you can get the eyeballs from any sorts of creators, but a lot of them will be, you know, they won't have the spending power. They might be quite young or not in the particular market. So say if, you know, one of our sponsors was Land Rover, they worked with us because they know our audience are a little bit older. We probably didn't get as many eyeballs as a lot of the other influencers out there, but we offered a more discerning audience. Sure. So I think they have to understand you, they have to understand your audience, and they have to trust you to... Um, deliver the goods, I suppose. I love that. Thank you. All right. Are we ready? Very quickly, we're going to go around the horn. Favorite digital experience. Daniel, we're going to start with you. As a consumer with a particular brand, I would say Charlotte Tilbury because they are seamless and they have, they're very aligned across all channels and they have a great experience on site and they are essentially one-stop shop for someone that doesn't know the brand. Perfect. I look forward to their sponsorship <laughs> next week. Amy, Favorite digital experience? I'm going to go from a platform perspective and say TikTok. Uh, Donald Trump's favorite platform. <laughs> <laughs> Steph? I suppose mine would be the Oculus Rift, which is a proper digital experience. Uh, I've been experimenting with that recently, and that's uh, owned by Facebook. It's um, the VR, VR Oculus Rift. I think that's quite revolutionary for a tech geek like me. There's something to it. I don't know. Like Again, me and the headset and the, I don't know. It, it's going to take me a while and I may never get there, Steph. But I, I suspect you're right. Lots of people are going to find it compelling. Best career advice or frankly, any advice, life advice, given or received, Denya? Uh, a very good one, actually, that, that was recently shared and I read that something similar as well, actually, in a blog was that you shouldn't really associate yourself with like a company, a position or a team, but rather just focus on, on your drive and your purpose and what drives you. So this is what will keep you going and lead you to the right direction no matter what you do. Got it. Amy? Mine's quite straightforward, but it is to always be great to work with, be kind and be pleasant with every single person you come across throughout your whole career because you never know when that person will come back around and you need them. And so far it's worked <laughs> out for me. <laughs> Tr truer words have not been spoken, Amy. Thank you. That is exactly right. Steph? There's, there's two really. Where one of them is, is if you're ever presenting, need a wee, it gives you a sense of urgency. And I find it's always good to need to go to the bathroom and hold it in. It, it's always worked for me. <laughs> the other one was, yeah, walk. 
I know it's a stupid one, but it's, uh, it seems to it seems to really help get you in the headspace for a lot of things in life. That methodical process of just walking. Steph, uh, you, you have you have won an enduring fan in my mom. When she listens to, the, <laughs> to this, she's going to be all over that. Her entire life, I think, has been built upon the principle of walk as therapy, for sure. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, she's nailed it. She knows what she's talking. Best piece of content recently consumed? Any platform? You know, blog post on Medium, Netflix series, anything? Uh, Denya. So Netflix series Down to Earth, absolutely love it. In terms of content from like an influencer perspective, <laughs> I would say Navigating Change series created actually from Joe Glyn Smith, who's in between changing her uh, jobs and career. So used to be marketing director on Pandora. So she's hosting these short, snappy uh, content episodes within Instagram, which are absolutely super. Got it. Amy? I'm going to go down the influencer route and say, obviously, all of the videos on the Mitchell YouTube channel. (laughs) But (laughs) genuinely, they're amazing. But I really loved a piece of content that the Anna Reddit did recently, where she filmed an up-close makeup tutorial where the camera was literally right in front of her face. The reason that I loved that is because she had no fake lighting. She just used natural lighting, no filters. And she showed exactly what the product is like on her skin. Mm. And the comments from the audience were amazing in that they said, it's so great that I can see what a product will look like on my skin rather than seeing a super polished influencer post something on Instagram and expect myself to look exactly like they look. So I think that sort of real raw content is great. Uh, yeah, I often get criticized. Just too polished. Um, sure. t- show us yeah. how you really look, Robert. Could you please? <laughs> Steph, favorite piece of content recently consumed? I'm going to say you can't pick your own though. Yes, right. Damn. I would say I, I found a podcast really interesting. Obviously, the Joe Rogan podcast with Douglas Murray. It was a recent one he did. I thought that was a very interesting podcast. So I'd go, I'd go with that. Got it. All right, last question. And before we do this, you guys have been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for making time to do this. I have enjoyed this thoroughly. This is one I've been looking forward to. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having us. us. Here's the last one. Are you ready? One thing people should know about you, but they don't. Amy. I have a phobia of space. Space like the final frontier or space like there's only one chair in this room? No, like outer space. (laughs) Really? Mm. So, Amy, yeah, I, I got something for you. Are you ready? Oh, God. No. <laughs> I'm kind of confident you're not going to have to confront this. Well, you'd hope so, but who knows? Okay. Are you, you don't know what's going to happen, do you? No. I, you know what? After this year, I should. You could be, <laughs> exactly. ab- you could be abducted <laughs> and stuck on that Virgin Galactic flight, and who knows? I am never going on that flight, <laughs> ever. <laughs> you not pay me enough money. <laughs> Denya, let us know. Something uh, people should know about you, but they don't. I'm actually a micro-influencer myself. Oh. Hence why I'm very passionate about influence marketing. Yeah, I've done only very small campaigns in the past with some like travel brands and jewelry brands, with my biggest one being the Visit Greece campaign, obviously, because I'm from Greece, as expected. (laughs) Well, I mean, Visit Greece seems like something, that seems like an easy sell, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Steph, we're back to you. I tried to draw it out. Okay, I've got it. 
this time next year, I'm going to be a billionaire. <laughs> because uh, <laughs> I will, definitely. Because what brand I, are we getting? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to sell my site Wantfeed, my tech startup, to a Jeff Bezos. Ah. Because he's got loads of billions and it's going to align with all of it. Well, it's perfect for him. No, easy peasy. I think I'm going to write him a song try, to try and convince him to buy my site. Well, I think that's, I mean, he likes music. Uh, you might yeah, not know yeah, he's yeah. an avid listener of this pod. Uh, I mean, go, Jeff. Doesn't, doesn't miss a week, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Even though we have given him a hard time on this pod before. <laughs> Listen, you guys are absolutely fantastic. Thanks again for making the time. And we reserve the right to have you come back. How would that be? That would be amazing. Yeah, great. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of The Human Element. Remember, you can find us anywhere you find your pods. Subscribe, give us a like, send us a comment. We love that. In the meantime, be well, be just, and we'll be out to you next week. Thanks. <laughs>